welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Syosset Libraries Turn the Page podcast. Uh, this is Jessica, and I am super, super, super excited to welcome back Juno Dawson, um, who wrote one of my absolute favorite books, not of just the year before, but also of all time. I will not shut up about this book to anybody ever. And then there was a sequel, which um, was even better. <laughs> so uh-huh. I can't, I can't wait to talk about it. So um, uh, without any further ado, welcome Juno Dawson. Hello, thanks for having me back. Um, welcome back. So happy to have you back. So um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven was um, amazing. It was fabulous. I have bought copies for nearly everybody um, in my uh, friend realm and family realm. Um, and, you know, I had been for a while, I had what I like to call um, sequel fatigue, where like mm-hmm. sometimes I'll get to the end of a book and I'll be like, oh gosh, th- th- there's a sequel. Like, I mean, I liked this, but you know, I would have liked it to wrap. But with um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven, I did not feel that way. I got to the end and I'm like, there's going to be more? Yes. So um, thank you for that. It was always going to be three. That was always the plan. And that was because I had written many sort of standalone YA novels in the UK. And after I think I'd done, I think I'd done 10 YA novels. And, you know, I'd always wanted to write a sequel. And I always wondered if I sort of had a trilogy in me. I wanted to kind of work on like a much bigger canvas. And so when I pitched it, that was my only caveat, which is that it has to be three books. And so I wonder if that's why I hope you didn't get the sequel fatigue because it wasn't like oh the first one did well let's do another one it was always one story told in three acts kind of so it was always planned this way and I I hope that shows I hope people don't think I'm milking it oh no it didn't you know what again like I said it didn't come off that way at all the way that the world is built the characters you know I actually have very recently um probably during the pandemic was my first brush with this whole idea of a, um, a post, you know, a post post magical apocalypse story where you've already fought the bad guys. You've already won against who you thought were the bad guys, but you know, that's not how the world is. The world is that there's always something. And Mm -hmm. if you're just like, Oh no, you know, the big bad was defeated. Let's all go have cake. And cake was had and everybody lived happily ever after. That's not very realistic. And one thing that I think really helps fantasy, and you brought a lot of it more into the shadow cabinet, even than Her Majesty's Royal Coven, is when you can relate it to things that are really going on. It feels very tangible. And there were so many reveals in this sequel that felt so frighteningly real but were good to read you know in the way that you told them so first of all I just kind of want to bring out there because this isn't a spoiler although if you have not read Her Majesty's Royal Coven please pause this 
<laughs> read it and then come back to it. Um, so the last book ended on this crazy cliffhanger where Neve was uh, replaced by her sister, Kara. Mm -hmm. And um, I am going to use an expletive. So, um, you know, my reaction to the end of the book and everybody I gave this book to was, ah, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> At the end. She is, yeah, she is a scamp. Yeah, she is. But that was, again, that was always the plan. I, like everyone, have on occasion suffered from sequel fatigue. And I was like, well, what's the best way to get around that? And I felt the best possible way to avoid that was to bring in a new main character. And so right from the very earliest days of Her Majesty's Royal Coven, I knew that Neve had this identical twin and she was in a coma. Allegedly, she has done some very bad things. And so I knew enough about her to kind of hint Kira, she's an Irish Kira. Um, so I knew enough about her to kind of seed her in book one, and of course we meet her in a flashback. But then that's just enough so that when she pops up in the final chapter, in your words, you're like, kind of. And I thought, I hoped actually that at the end of book one, people would be like, well, how is this going to work? Like, we, how are we going to have this villainous character kind of be the main character? But I think that's why Shadow Cabinet is its own flavour, because Kira brings something very, very different. And I think, unlike the first book where we always understand Neve is one of the good guys, I think it's perhaps more challenging a novel is to spend time with a character like Kira and try to understand why she's done the things she has done and why she keeps doing the things she's doing. So in some ways, it, well, it's a much darker book, but I think... I, I really love Kira and I, and I hope other readers enjoy spending this book with her as well. She is now one of my absolute favorites. I have to say Yay. I was I love her and I was not expecting to. I'm always one of those people who likes the gray characters or the characters mm -hmm. you're not really sure where they really stand. Um, so maybe that's not that much of a surprise, but she was really well written and I don't want to give too much away, so I don't want to say more about that, but I loved her. I was very happy to spend the time with her just as much as I was happy to spend more time with Elle and Leonie and um, mm -hmm. all the others. Um, the gang. Yeah, the gang. And then, you know, you also had the younger characters. Uh, Theo is you know, very different in this story, mm -hmm. uh, but she's going through some very different things, you know, so she, you know, her transformation at the end of the last uh, book, one would think if you don't know <laughs> much about, you know, uh, you'd be like, oh yeah, no. So she's, she's okay. Like she, she's, she's happy now. Everything worked. No, it's not. That's just not how it works. And, you know, I think that was really well done, too. So Theo, you know, um, who is um, a trans girl, uh, she's now fully, you know, she's transformed and she has her first period and she is living in high school as, you know, a, a beautiful young girl. And there's still 
that doesn't take away the fact that she's a trans girl. And I think that that was really well, well done um, because it could have very well been like, oh, well, she's had this magical transformation and now everything is cool. Hmm. It was so well dealt with. uh, And just her whole journey continues to go. You know, she's not mute anymore. She speaks Mm -hmm. because she was mute until pretty much the end of the last book. Um, And she's trying to figure things out and she's, even closer with Holly, um, who is Elle's daughter. And there's some stuff going on there too. And it was just like, it was so good. Um, I really just, again, I loved spending time with them as well. Um, And there's so many reveals. Again, I think I mentioned this at the the end of the beginning of the last, um, you know, the, the beginning of this particular episode, there are so many reveals. I so appreciated them. I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Theo is, is close to my heart as, as a trans writer. I was really keen to look at what happens after the makeover. And I think that's something that our media doesn't do very well, which is we almost lose interest in Elliot Page once he has kind of undergone any sort of physical transformation and, and it almost becomes like, well, you're done, you're finished. Um, but that's not what it's about. And I think especially as Thea was able to undergo a kind of transition that most people are never going to experience. So there is a distinction in the books between Theo and Valentina and Kane, the other two trans characters. Um, you know, Thea was able to absorb Neve's radiance and completely physically transform herself and the reason I did that is because actually I wanted to remove the physicality of transition from fear so that the only thing she has really left to deal with is the psychological transition which is the world is treating her differently now and to me that that happened to me but I think a lot of people would say well well of course the world treated you differently you look different and I'm like well, yeah, but what about the psychological impact of when the world starts to treat you differently? And the big one is you start to experience misogyny in a way that you just haven't. And I'm living, breathing proof of that. And so I wanted to, given that I always knew book two was going to really explore misogyny, men barely feature in book one. They're, they're kind of like this kind of like, no. Whereas men, the male characters very much have their moment in book two. And so, you know, Theo is coming into the world of misogyny fresh and realizing that just because she's a girl now, just because, you know, she kind of, to quote the doctor, she sees she got what she wanted. You might be getting some other stuff you didn't know you were about to inherit as well. And I think that's kind of, you know, I'll be the first to admit, maybe I was naive about kind of, you know, when you step into the world of womanhood, you get all the great things, but then you're also going to get all the bad things. And, you know, this is not a world that is designed for women, as the recent film Barbie sets out so eloquently. I need to see that so badly still. Really good. Yes, I, I, do, I do need to see it. it was, uh, I, I'm not going to go into that because that's a whole other thing. But um, I was, but I, I do know enough about it that when I was reading certain parts of this book, I was like, man, this is like, this is the summer of talking about this misogyny because it, mm-hmm. there was, um, there is some similarities from 
you know, what I know about the plot of Barbie mm-hmm. and what goes on in the shadow cabinet, which you need to read. Don't, don't, no spoilers here. No but spoilers. I, but that was fabulous. I was very surprised, very, very surprised by uh, the way that certain things moved, things that I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked, you know, there, I liked the flawed characters. Um, I don't, want to give that much away about just the whole Kira Neve thing but I almost mm-hmm. got like a few um I don't know orphan black vibes from sort of their situation how you know Sarah stepped very I don't I don't know if you watch orphan black but um, I never have weirdly I oh you should and it's right up my street I really should it's one of those that has been on my list for the longest time but I because obviously there's so much of it I feel slightly of intimidated. course but I do need to I've only heard wonderful things well basically you know for those listeners who have not watched Orphan Black you should um but basically it's about clones and the very beginning there's one clone who she doesn't nobody knows they're clones but that's not mm-hmm. really a spoiler that's what the show is about yeah. um she she sees someone who looks exactly like her who commits suicide she steps into her life and mayhem ensues, but the character, you know, is um, the one who who died is was a cop and supposedly on, you know, the straight and narrow and the one who stepped into her life was very much a scam artist. And I got a few of like, the, in a good way, not in like a copy, hey, this is copying mm-hmm. it way, in, the, in a good way, just sort of that thrill of seeing Kara try to step into Neve's life and try to mm-hmm. figure out what her place in this story was. Because again, the the last book ended very much on you're just like, ah, oh, she's a villain. She's been waiting for this moment forever. And then it's mm-hmm. just like, mm, as things are, it's much more complicated than that. And again, yeah. just great. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, that's what I was going for. I wanted it to be a sort of a thorny novel morally. Um, I mean, let's not beat her on the bush. Kara has done some really bad things. She really has. <laughs> She's, She's not. Some she, awful, yeah. And she can conti- she continues to do awful things. But she at the same time, I think by the end of the book, you should at least understand why she's doing them. Um, she's very, very damaged. Um, I think the reader has some sympathy with her. Um, if if not entirely <laughs> um, but I think as well that there is still there's still a third chapter left and kind of Kira is on a journey as are the rest of the characters and and everybody's going somewhere um the trick is now I've just got to get them there in book three we, we're still on the journey we're still driving I love it and you know one thing again that you were that you were just saying in a way I I like I like the idea of going on this journey with the characters and yeah, she has done bad things and she admits she knows that, you know, she's kind of not the hero that they wanted. But this is, mm-hmm. you know, you work with what you've got. Um, but one thing I did just again, and this is amazing, you know, I don't like when you're like, OK, we're going to do a sequel. and It's just going to be the same thing. She was a very different character than mm-hmm. um, Helena. And you just, you knew that in the beginning, you know, she was just basically like, she saw what Helena had become and she was just like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, really? You know, like. Immediately- there's a big difference yeah. between Helena and Kira as well, which is that 
for all her absolute very you know kind of like she is a murderer but at least she's not a bigger you know so you know oh for, for sure a hundred percent i was like oh please may this not be another turf villain and then it's like yeah, no, oh, no, she's not. She's not the turf. <laughs> she's gonna, yeah. Her politics are very complicated. In a way, she kind of she's um, Kira is such a selfish character, but almost she's apolitical in that she kind of aligns herself with Dabney, who is a fascist, but at the same time, she's kind of like apathetic to his cause for most of the book. And there is a there is a point where she does become quite radicalized, but by and large, she kind of she is so self serving. The only the only politics she serves is does this benefit me, and so she will align herself to self promotion and self preservation above all else. Whereas Helena was self serving in a different way, but Helena was inflexible and arrogant whereas I don't think that Kira is either of those things I think Kira isn't interested in power she's not power hungry she is she just wants kind of like an easy life she wants to get away with it basically and so most of book two is Kira trying to steam her way out of trouble (laughs) which is always really fun it sort of takes me to quite a soap opera place she reminds me of Annie Douglas from Sunset Beach, who is one of my all-time favorites. So I could see that. I I just so when you when you were writing her voice, did it come in stronger than Vive's voice, or just different? Just different. Kara was more immediate. So I remember those those brief glimpses we saw of her in HMRC. The first book was so fun because by that point, Neve was quite well established as this kind of voice of reason, Little Miss Switzerland, kind of the sort of the the cool waters to Helena and Leone's much more fiery characters. And then, which maybe you need for a book one, you need that way in for the audience, kind of. I think Helena or Leone would have put some noses out of joint with the readership, I guess. Whereas Kira is, you know, especially when we first meet her in Her Majesty's Royal Coven, she is under the possession of various demonic forces. So um, she was great fun to write. Whereas by the time we got to her in book two, there's like a world weariness to Kira that I really like. And the fact as well that, you know, she's furious. You know, she lost nine years of her life. She's really, really angry. And she kind of sees herself as the victim as well, which is quite fun. Um, But she's so deadpan and so sarcastic. Um. I don't know if that would have worked in a book one if she'd been the main character from from day one. I don't know if people would have loved this series as much as they do. And people, you know, I get a lot of messages from people when they finished book one. You know, people are mad. I thought people liked cliffhangers, but apparently not. People, people are really worried about Neve. <laughs> at the end of book one so um yeah so that's nice that means that means people really like Neve and I think with Neve you know she's so welcoming of Theo and she is so unjudgmental and she's so nurturing of Theo that I think Neve is a really easy character to love whereas I extend the challenge to readers which is yes but can you also love a very very unwell sister who is much harder to love 
I think you can, because like I said, I really, really liked her. Um, so before we close out, I just want to kind of ask really quickly, you um, started the first book and the second book with just uh, very, like varying quotes. Um, mm -hmm. How do you choose that? You know, how did you decide like, okay, this is what I'm going to go for. And then I'm going to add this to it. I don't do it at the beginning. They often come a bit later. Um, in fact, I've just done that for the third part of the series, which is actually not human rights, but there's going to be next year, there's going to be a prequel called Queen Bee, which takes us back to the first coven with Anne Boleyn. Um, it's really fun. And so, yeah, picking out the quotes, it's more about, for me, when you are trying to, what is it you're trying to say with this novel? And do you want like a preface that fits with the vibe? Um, I knew, because I knew that book two was about division between men and women, that in some ways made it a little bit easier for book two. Book three, the final book of the trilogy, Human Rights, is going to be much harder, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, you know it when you see it, is, is how I will say. that there, there are other ones that you have in place for a while and then you end up deleting them. But when you know it, when it's right, it's right. Like in the first book, when I found that quote about Tom York's quote about the Spice Girls with just all its kind of like inbuilt snobbery. I was like, yep, there you go. That'll fit. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing these books. I'm actually really excited about the Anne Boleyn one. I was not expecting that. Um, it's and just I love been announced. Yeah, we just announced it last week. I love that the world is so expansive too. You know, that's another thing. I, I like that there is a big sandbox that we could all play in mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot to go on. But um, check out if you have not, if, if you've made it this far and you have not read Her Majesty's Royal Coven, do it and then read The Shadow Cabinet. And um, Juno Dawson, please come back and talk about your other books. I will this time next year, Queen Bee. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So once again, this was Syosset Public Libraries Turn the Page Podcast. I am Jessica. I was your host today. And our amazing guest was Juna Dawson. Thank you. And we are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.